Hey, murder lovers, my name is Mackenzie. And this is Fatina. And you're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Alright guys, so today we're going to get straight to it. Um, I have noticed, I you know, I do listen to other podcasts and when it takes them more than three, almost five minutes to get to the case, I'm like, come on, get to it. So, and it's like, do I skip too far ahead? Do I go back? Right, like, you don't know. You kind of want to hear this, but like also really want to just hear the case. And especially if you're just jumping into a podcast and you don't know much about the people and um, or about what they're talking about, you're just kind of lost and you just... Like you said, you don't know where to jump to. So I'm just going to get straight to it. If, if you're new to the podcast, welcome to the podcast. Stick around at the end and we'll talk about all the stuff at the very, yes. very last minute. Right. That's a new format that we have brought in. Adapted. Adapted to. Adopted. Adopted. <laughs> we adopted it. Yep. Based on listener feedback. So, all right. So today's case, we're going to be talking about Rhonda Casto. So I think I told you a little bit about it beforehand yes. and all i told you was that it's a local case it's from oregon from oregon boop, boop. um not or or i can't even say oregon it wrong. oregon <laughs> it's not that it wrong that's um, not that's not how it's pronounced for all of you who didn't know how it's pronounced so Rhonda casto uh was born on july 2nd 1985 in galveston texas for those of you that are into horoscopes it can probably figure out exactly what her sign was there you go so she was born July 2nd. I have no idea. I didn't I don't look it up. Know either. It's not mine, so I don't care. I think it's a cancer because I'm born in July. Maybe. Something. Something like that. Something like that. All right. Maybe. So Rhonda was a, at the time when um, this all started, she was 20 year old here in Portland, Oregon. She was an aspiring model. Already started to build her portfolio. She was working for, I believe, Nike and Reebok. She was doing some shoots with them, which is really prevalent here in Oregon. We have headquarters for Nike, Adidas, uh, and Adidas uh, it owns Reebok. So those are all companies that we have here. Modeling agencies are always looking for that type of talent. So she did that type of work. So it goes without saying that she was beautiful. She had... A million dollar smile. She mm-hmm. was, she kept herself well. She, you know, she was blonde. She was, um, she was the type of person that now we know her family and her friends describe her. She would light up a room. So, you know, you know where this is going. Yeah. So Rhonda, at the age of 20 years old, um, was not living with her mother anymore. Her mother, Julia Simmons, was looking for a place to live here still in the Portland area. And she decided to go on Craigslist and she found a an apartment in a three-bedroom condo with a man named Stephen Nichols. So Stephen Nichols, at the time in 2006, was recently divorced. And he had a condo with three bedrooms. And he put out a Craigslist ad for, um, so for an, an extra roommate. And what happened was that she um, answered the ad. They got off you know, on the right foot. They got along really well. And Julia kept, um, not pestering, but kept asking Stephen to ask her daughter out. He thought, she thought that they would be a really good match. He, you know, you need to meet my daughter. She would love you. You would love her, et cetera, et cetera. And at the time, at the beginning of all this, he was like, no, I'm just not in the place where I'm looking for a new relationship. I just got mm-hmm. out of a, a, you know, I just finished a, another marriage. And this time he was 30 years old. And he was a very successful day trader, his profession at the time. And 
on a fateful day, um, Rhonda came over to where her mom was staying, Stephen's condo, and she was looking for something, couldn't find it. Mom was at home, so she went and knocked on Stephen's bedroom door, knocked on the door. He said, come in. She came in. She introduced herself. He says now that it was like love at first sight almost. Mm -hmm. He saw her, obviously, physically. She was beautiful. And he loved the confidence that she came in. She extended her hand out to introduce herself. So he out of, he like instantly fell in love with her at that at that point. They started dating and about two years later they got um he bought a condo for themselves for them yeah. too. So at this point they were dating about two years. She then became pregnant and they had a little daughter. So when the daughter was about nine months old, this is where it starts to get interesting. In two thousand nine they had been dating for three years. They had had a daughter together. Um, the daughter was about nine months old at this time. And I think understandably, Stephen says that Rhonda had some body image issues from having a baby. She had gained a little bit of weight and she wanted to start working out again to get that baby weight off. And then he's saying that she also suffered from postpartum depression mm-hmm. um, after giving birth to their daughter. So... This I found differing accounts on whether or not they were very active and outdoors together prior to this, but leading up to this, um, it sounds like there was a whole month's worth of Stephen trying to get Rhonda to go out on a hike. Okay. So of you know probably let's go this weekend, probably let's go this weekend. So he just kept trying you know kept pestering her to go on a hike. So in Portland, there's infinite amount of hiking trails from all in kinds Portland, but in Oregon in general oh, right like, in Oregon in general moly. there is hikes for every level of hiker you know you can do a half mile in half mile out you could do the Pacific Crest Trail you, you could do anything here in Oregon you so. know there's now a hiking trail that. from Corvallis to the coast yeah it just opened. That's a long ways, in case you didn't know. That is a long ways. It's a long ways. I mean, hours drive Driving, yeah. Right. They decided to go on a hike to Eagle Creek in Hood River, mm-hmm. which is east here of Portland. It's about 25 miles from the center of Portland. So it's very popular. Not far drive. Yeah. Um, I would say 35, 40 minutes tops with the windy roads, etc. What year is this? So 2009. Okay. So in 2009, on March 16th, 2009, they finally decided that they were going to go on this hike. So Rhonda asked her mom to babysit her nine-month-old daughter mm-hmm. at the time and while she went on the hike. Now, here is probably the best known piece of information in this case. It's notorious and it's chilling that when she dropped off her daughter to her mom's house, she told her mom, well, I think he's either he's going to propose on this hike or he's going to throw me off a cliff. That's concerning. She Very, said it as a joke, though. I'm she sure. said it as a joke. Because um, she was probably thinking, why is he so determined to get me to go on this yes. hike? Oh, absolutely. And if you're into any type of true crime, if you're listening to this podcast, we probably have that twisted sense of humor that I would absolutely say that. Yeah. I would absolutely say that. We're not even thinking about it twice. Like It's very unnerving when it becomes like a premonition, though. Right. Yeah. That's where it gets creepy. Yeah. So she drops off her daughter and they get to 
the hike at about two, 220, something like that. According to Steve, because obviously we don't know her, her account. account. Right. So according to Steve, he's saying that when they got there, it started raining. That's factual. We know that much. Here in Oregon, if you've ever been to Oregon or if you've lived any time in Oregon, a little rain's not going to stop you. Nope. That is part of the experience. Right. A little rain's not going to stop you. It doesn't get bone chilling cold. It doesn't, you know, it's, it just, it, it just rains. People don't own umbrellas here. It's no, just, and if just you do, you're not it. from here. Absolutely. So you just deal with it. You take a light jacket. So there was some light rain on and off. Um, they didn't think to call off the hike. As they were hiking along, the part of the trail that they were hiking on, and there's evidence of this, and I, and I will definitely post pictures of this, was a trail that was cliffside. And because some of these trails are maintained, the side of the cliff, sorry, the, the mountainside of this walkway has a cable rope or cable alongside of it so people can hold on if it gets slippery or etc. Plus, it's really narrow. It's no more than five or six feet wide. Mm-hmm. So most of the time with that width, if you're hiking, it's very much going to be a one person in front, one person behind situation. It's not going to be like a side-by-side hiking situation. So he says that they're just out hiking and that when they get to this narrow part of the hike, he says that Rhonda took a towel that she had, threw it around her shoulders, and started going at a jogging almost running pace down this trail. Mind you, there is a 150 to 200 feet drop on the cliffside that she started jogging and running and saying, I'm Superwoman. And that she slipped off the cliff and fell to her death. What he says happened after that is that he started finding a way down this hill or down this cliff, so he had to continue on the path to find, like, a roundaway way of getting there. Um, He said that took him, like, 20 to 30 minutes to get down to her. And when he got down to her, she had fallen into a very small river that was at the bottom of the cliff. He's saying he pulled her out of the water, and he laid her on the 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 edge of the riverbed. Yeah. And he said, this is his quote, I did the chest and mouth thing. Okay? Okay. His words. So CPR. CPR. um, Or some half-ass effort at CPR. And then (laughs) he was wet, cold, and tired from getting, trying to get down to her, that he laid his head on her chest and fell asleep for 45 minutes. That's not normal. After that, once he had determined that she was completely dead, he hiked back out, and it took him about an hour to hike back out, got to his car, and called 911. This 911 call is downright bone-chilling, stone-cold, no emotions, and we've talked about this before. Not everyone reacts the same in these situations, right? Mm-hmm. In emergency situations. But 
I'll play the recording for you guys or I'll tag it in our in our social medias. What he says is, my girlfriend fell off a cliff. The 911 operator says, okay, do you know where she is? No. About a mile in. Okay, you know, do you know what if she's hurt, what's going on? Well, no, she's dead. But I'm really cold and I'm almost like hypothermic. Can you send some help? She's like, yes, sir, you know, we'll send some help right now. And he's like, okay, that's it. End of phone call. So the cops get there. Hood River Police gets there. And right off the bat, uh, the cop that's talking to him says, you know, it's not uncommon, especially in, in that area, to hear that hikers have fallen and that they're hurt and that they need help. That is not unusual, although they were... Of course, alarmed somebody might need help. Mm-hmm. He did not get that sense of urgency from Stephen. So Stephen wouldn't walk back in to show them where the body was. What? He was really worried about getting to the hospital to treat his hypothermia, his potential hypothermia. He did not have hypothermia. So... The cops, um, I'm sure at a faster faster pace, plus they hadn't already been hiking, it still took them 40 minutes to find her. And when they found her, that's when they called back to the, the people with him in the parking lot and said, okay, you can take him to the hospital, whatever, to get treated or what have you. And she was DOA. Yeah. There was no question about it. She had an exposed bone on her on her leg. She had a completely broken leg and just n- normal falling scrapes and everything. But here's the interesting information. When they found her, she was an entire 50 feet from the river. There's no signs that she had been, like, soaking wet. Yeah. Were there any drag marks? No. There were no shoe marks around her, even though it had been raining and it had been muddy all around that area. There is no disturbed leaves or anything on the ground from either dragging her. If you dragged a body out of the river, it Uh would leave a path. Yes. A hundred percent. And her body, even though he says he had performed CPR on her, you don't have to be trained in CPR because I think it's been ingrained into our minds from movies or just in like general, I hope it's common knowledge, that you perform CPR on a flat body, right? Yeah. When they found her, she was folded up, like child's pose position almost, like knees to chest almost. So unless he put her down flat to do CPR and then like... She came back alive... Or he folded her back up. No. There's no way that that would have been her last position if he tried to do CPR. Right. So, the cops, right off the bat, right then and there, said, okay, this is a criminal investigation. Yep. So, the mom now says, Julia, that she had almost like a mother's instinct that something had been happening mm-hmm. um, around 3.30 when this is all happening. Um, and she, from 3.30 on, she tried an, once an hour trying calling Rhonda and no one was picking up. They should have been back by this time. Unfortunately, she was informed by an officer and a chaplain later that evening that Rhonda had passed away. And immediately, of course, 
she's telling the cops, like, no, this is foul play. Like, there's no way my daughter actually just said this thing where she said he's either going to propose or he's going to push me off a cliff. So then the cops, this is news to them. Yeah, of course. And so they, they're still at Julia's house, at her mom's house, when... Stephen gets off the ho- gets out of the hospital. He's fine, and he's at his mother in law's house to pick up his baby, his nine month old baby. So of course the parent, the Julia does not want him in the house, so he's outside awaiting the baby. Wait, his mother in law? Well, Julia Bronda. Okay, mom. okay, okay. Sorry, not legally mother in law. Sorry, I just was like, wait, was there an ex wife? <laughs> So as he's picking up his daughter, Julia doesn't want him in the house because obviously she thinks that there's foul right, play. She has hard feelings already, of course, for him. The cop comes out and they're handing over his child because at this, you know, it is his child. Right. They ask him, hey, you know, her mom just mentioned to us that you were probably going to be proposing on this trip, on this hike. And he goes, yes, I was actually. I was thinking about it. And then the cop says, well, Where's the ring? Yeah. Oh, I must have lost it on the hike. That's it. Convenient. That's his explanation. Yeah. That's his explanation. Um, I would have gone a little bit deeper and said That's where like, you just say, no, I wasn't. <laughs> right. Um, I'll show you videos of this guy. He's very... He says his, like, everyday... Um, demeanor is about a four or six. Like he doesn't waver much from that. He doesn't show high highs or low lows. Like he doesn't show Even much killed. emotion. Yeah, he's just very, very monotone almost. He's very like level headed. Um, it seems like on purpose. But so he says that he just lost this ring on the hike. Doesn't give an explanation like, oh, I dropped it before, I left it in the car, or I think I fell in the river, or and like literally anything else you would have said that, oh, I just lost it on a hike, would have been better. Plus, if you're going on a hike, I'm sorry, you're going to put the ring in a safe place so you don't drop it on a hike. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so at that point, the cops start looking into the situation a little bit further, but they're, um, the... The coroner comes back after the the exam on on her um, autopsy, and the reason of death is because of the the bleeding from her leg, and they don't notice anything out of place for someone that may have fallen. Yeah. So um, there's nothing more specific, let's say like a head wound that would have come from a different object that wasn't rocks or something. Right. So there wasn't anything saying this is... Uh, a criminal investigation. And then 10 days after she had passed away on March 16th, he filed a claim on her life insurance. But they're not married. On behalf of his daughter. So Rhonda's life insurance had only been active for three months. Very close in time to an Mm -hmm. untimely death. He's saying that they both got life insurances, even though there's no proof or evidence brought forward that he also got a life insurance policy, only her. It was for a million dollars, and of course the daughter was the beneficiary of that. Um, Friends and family are saying that it was odd 
But, of course, they supported her in that decision. Yeah. Her brother recalls that, you know, a life insurance agent was coming by to the house to take a blood sample, etc. 23 is pretty young for a life insurance policy. It is odd, but I do rationalize that a mother, a new mother, With would want yeah, that would to be have some sense of security. Right. So, it seems odd. The timing's weird. <sighs> Depends on how you look at it. It, it depends Perception on how you look at everything. it. everything. But some people are saying that he coerced her into having a life insurance policy, which is kind of weird. Yeah. If that's true, then that, of course, would add mystery to all of this. But so 10 days after her passing, he filed for the life insurance claim. And of course, like any insurance claim, especially life insurance, there's going to be an investigation. So there wasn't any type of immediate payout. So after that, um, even though the cops continued to search or you know look through evidence and and look through all this there wasn't much to go off of to cry foul play so the case went cold so at the two-year mark um steven and his daughter moved to china so big move no ties to china prior to this um, just a big move. He said that he wanted to get away from everything, that he'd obviously just gone through a big ordeal. Some say that he just didn't want his daughter to know her side of the family, which is really odd. Um, I don't know if that would be true. Nonetheless, that was happening. He was pulling them away from her family and knowing her family. So he moved to China. In China, he um, met a new woman that he fell in love with and he had proposed to her. So he was living now with his fiance. At the end of all this, he had been in China for three years. So in those three years that he was in China, there was a new DA that came into Portland and that new DA opened up the case again. And then they discovered by the prosecutors, the district attorney's office, that there had been depositions from his ex-wife um, saying that he had been physically, emotionally abusive to her. Oh. Most importantly, the abusive portion. Um, again, the deposition says that there was an encounter at their condo where he almost pushed her off the balcony. And he was in the midst of doing that. That if it weren't for the nanny coming in, stopping him, he would have pushed, pushed her, her over off. the edge. Probably just a coincidence, but it makes him look really bad. Right? That he's pushing women off shit. Yeah. He denies all this, of course. He's saying that, yes, there was an argument, but that he's never laid a hand on a woman. So he doesn't know that this is all happening while he's in China. He's, you know, out of sight, out of mind. He's not paying attention to anything that's going on here in Portland. Plus, it's not public knowledge. It's not, you know, something put out in minutes that the DA reopened a case or something. So they, with that said... There's this little bit of information, which is really weird, but there is a true crime writer here in Oregon named Steve Jackson. And Steve Jackson wrote a letter or an email, I believe, to one of the prosecutors saying, you know, it's about time this case gets the justice it deserves. I am paraphrasing here. It is not a direct quote, but something along the lines of, you know, if this was brought in front of a jury of peers, they would probably indict him. And that is when the prosecutor decided to take this to a grand jury. And the grand jury mm. indicted him. Oh. Okay. So some say that the true crime writer 
um, was the was catalyst. Hoping for a finish because he was writing a book that was similar to the story. Oh. So a little self-serving there. Yes, yeah. very much so. So the grand jury indicts him, and then while they're doing this, they also they um, sorry right before they indict him, they figure out or they find out by Julia, her mom, she came forward that when her younger daughter, Rhonda's younger sister, because she was one of four, was 15, Stephen sexually assaulted her or was trying to have a relationship with her. And at the time when her daughter had told her this, she did not believe her and told her that she was just jealous that her older sister had found a boyfriend and was happy and that she was trying to break up this relationship. So toxic AF. Um, I could never imagine not believing my child or anyone for that matter that is saying that they're being sexually uh, assaulted or they're, you know, receiving, they're on the receiving end on something like that. Yeah. So the mother finally came forward, though, all those years later. So that in combination with the um, the old deposition from the previous wife yeah. um, was enough for the grand jury to indict him. China's non-extraditable. So he's in China. He has no reason to come back. So <laughs> the DA schemes up a plan. They get in contact with him, and they let him know, or they tell him, that there's an issue with his daughter's visa. And if you any, if you know anything about China or just being in a foreign country in general when you're not a citizen, you don't want any, any issues with your visa. You don't want to end up in jail because of issues like, you know, naturalization or citizenship or whatever. So so they tell him that there's an issue that could only be fixed back here in the US, back at the Portland offices. So him his new fiance and his and his daughter, who is now five years old, pick up and make a trip from China to Portland, but they have a layover in San Francisco first. And in San Francisco, the Hood River police officers are waiting for him. They first tell him that there's an issue with his bag, and that is when they rip his daughter away and take her into... Uh, child services yeah and they detain him right then right there read him his rights and so at that point um they bring him back up to portland they give the daughter to julia Rhonda's mom um to sit while he's going through all of this the girlfriend takes right back off she's like i'm out of here yeah back to china i go not dragging me down in this gone um good for her yeah So he is interrogated right away. The conversation that he had right after he was arrested um, was thrown out because I guess his attorney was able to prove that they continued talking to him even after he said, I want an attorney. So don't screw up a case, guys. (laughs) Get the attorney in there. I don't understand the point of that. Actually, I do understand the point of it, but then it's just like you just screw yourself out of... Being able to use the information. Like someone could say, yep, I killed her, and it would be thrown out. Yeah. 100%. 100% it would be thrown out. Yeah. So he says he doesn't remember because it was, you know, he was more worried about what was happening with his daughter at that time. It was all happening so fast, all these things. 
But so they throw out the case and then there's um, throw out the case or they throw out. The sorry, they, they throw out the interrogation. OK, got it. Sorry. I was like, Phew. so they charge him with first degree murder and then also with um, sexual abuse of a minor because of Rhonda's sister. Right. And they as they're having the bail hearing, mm-hmm. it almost turns into a mini trial because the defense puts the prosecutor on the stand. So when that happens, the prosecutor Can you do that. Yeah, so the prosecutor becomes a witness for this bail hearing, and there is a different attorney, a different prosecutor from the state that takes their turn or takes their place while they're as a witness. So there is someone still representing the prosecution, but now the prosecutor is now a witness. That's it. Hate that. So the defense puts the prosecutor on the stand and asks them about the emails that they received from this true crime writer. Yeah. And really funny moment happened, or interesting moment, when the prosecutor who was on the stand as a witness objected and the judge had to remind them, like, no, you are not the prosecutor right now. Yeah. And he's, like, looking at the prosecutor, like, objected. (laughs) Objected. But he's like, you're a witness. Yeah. Um, Because... They were asked about that email because yeah. it was brought forth into evidence that the true crime writer is what like propelled this back into the prosecutor's spotlight. Yeah. Obviously with some ulterior motives, but they they let that into evidence. Mm-hmm. So it's just a, uh, an interesting moment in this trial. So he was still, he was in jail while he was waiting a trial and all of this. So while he was awaiting a trial... The person that had been in charge of the case, I believe, uh, it's Jeffrey Tiffany, um, at the beginning, so five years ago, had since retired. And I guess there was a stupid moment um, that when he retired, all of his hard drives were erased as part of him retiring. That's not good. And not backed up into anything. And supposedly it had been backed up into a thumb drive, but no one can find the thumb drive. So all the evidence from the crime scene photos, from initial interrogations, all the interviews, all of those things have been completely deleted. So none of that evidence is longer available. Just a series of events of just like crappy thing after crappy thing that's happening in this case. Um, So... Because of this, the both the prosecution and the defense go into like desperate mode, not desperate mode, but like different instincts kick in and they start doing their own dummy test off yeah. the cliff and to see potentially what happened, what could have happened. Even with that information, the the judge did not allow the deposition from the previous wife to be let in to the evidence. Um, just because it was too inflammatory and it wasn't, although um, they thought it could be related, it's not related. Point blank period. It sounds familiar, but it's not the same thing. So they didn't let that into evidence. So the judge approached both the prosecution and the defense and told the prosecution, you need to offer the defense a plea deal. Okay. So it will not go to court. He's been in jail for 14 months at this point. It will not go to trial you need to offer him a plea deal because you don't have the evidence to carry on a full trial. The evidence is gone. 
there was talks about prosecuting Tiffany, uh, the previous uh, person on the case for almost destroying evidence or like tampering evidence. But mm-hmm. I don't think anything was done on purpose. So they didn't follow through with any of that. Okay. Okay. So the prosecution offered him a plea deal. He took it. So the plea deal was that he pled guilty to negligent homicide. Mm-hmm. And he pled guilty to third degree sexual abuse to a minor. He had to register as a sex offender. Mm-hmm. Um, and his daughter was taken away from him. Um, she had been living with grandmother, with Julia. And he was sentenced to 14 months. He had already served the 14 months while he was waiting, so they gave him time already served. No wonder he took it. So he walked away. My gosh. He walked away. That's so wrong. Well, he was fighting that the person that was in charge of the daughter's trust from the life insurance money wasn't um, someone that was capable of running it or someone that was capable of, you know, managing that for her. Fighting the conservatorship. Right. (laughs) Um, The judge dismissed that completely because the person that had been in charge of it was in the financial world. They were very capable. They showed their credentials. Um, They are putting that money away from her until she is 18. Um, So that money will become available to her at that time. He lost complete guardianship of her. So did the grandmother. It came out later that the grandmother, while she had been in China with him, well, since she was five, she had been cashing in on Social Security death benefits on her behalf, even though she had not actually been taking care of her. She was in a completely different country. Dude, so in the everyone's amount, a con. So in the amount of $39,000, um, I believe she was given some house arrest and... She was, um, she's told to repay that back. Right. But because of that, she was not, um, ruled to be the guardian either. So the daughter went into foster care and she remains in foster care to this day. And I mean, at this point that was 2009. So she's 10, 11 years old. Just awful situation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. So give or take about 11 years old. One thing that with. All the research that I've done that blows my mind that no one, no one, no one, no one has brought up is that, well, first, well, second, well, so many things. Sorry. He changed his story. He's done a ton of interviews. Um, He's changed his story. And now he says that she jumped. What? Right. That she was suicidal. That she jumped to her death on purpose. Um, and this is all after he's already gone through trial, so he can't have double jeopardy. Yeah. You know, so he can say whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, he would literally come out right now and say that he did it, he and it could, wouldn't matter. Right. It really doesn't matter. So, he says now that she jumped on purpose to her death. Her brother on one of the interviews, I believe it's on 48, he has a theory that I think unfortunately fits the bill. Which is, Stephen probably got down on one knee, but that is how he was able to get so much force by getting down from the position of down on one knee, upwards push out. Okay, that makes sense. So he comes up into her. Right. And literally, and, like, catapults her. And he, and I understand this, how sad would that be that, you know, you go from 
probably one of your highest highs to, you know, from getting proposed to, you think this is happening. Oh my God. All the emotions that go through your head to holy shit, what's happening. Also, if she died from the femoral artery being severed, that means that she did not die on impact. No, no, she absolutely didn't. And when the cops got to her, she was cold, he said. He's like, as soon as I touched her, she was gone. If she had curled up in the fetal position... That, that means, means she was trying to like she was survive. alive, yeah. Right. When she hit the ground. Um, and then one of the things, so there's a couple of things. Obviously, we don't have the pictures taken at the scene because of this whole Tiffany thing. He lost the hard drive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but what I don't know, there's two questions in my mind. No one has brought up this towel that she had been supposedly holding over her shoulders and what pretending to, to be Superwoman. Yeah. I'm sorry, a police report would say we saw the towel 50 feet up, you know, snagged yeah. on a tree, snagged on a rock, laying over here doing something or with her. Yeah. There's absolutely no, no mention, mention of, of this towel. Okay. So how no one's brought that up, I don't know. Right. Um, how he wasn't asked what color the towel was. Was it black, white, cream, red, blue, something? Mm-hmm. You know, um, the cliffside is a 150 foot drop. Yeah. Okay. And the fact that there is no mention of this, that tells me that right off his bat, his first story of her pretending to be Superman running down the isn't trail right. isn't right. Yeah. At first, the first account is that he cannot get cell service. Right. So he has to keep running out, keep running out till he gets cell service. And then in this new interview, he says, I didn't have my phone on me. Which one is it, sir? Yeah, that's a huge deviation. Two different things. Two different things. Yeah. Right? And I know it's 2009. Phones are prevalent at that point. Everyone had a phone. iPhones were coming out. Yeah. So everyone had a phone, and he would have had a phone. She had a phone. We know the mom was calling it. Mm -hmm. Um, After he got off the phone with 911... Um, they got there in 16 minutes, so he didn't have to wait. I mean, that is long, but not terribly long, but long enough where he could have picked up and called her mom. You lived with the mom, so you know her very well. They supposedly had a friendship at this point, and right? he didn't call her. And he didn't call her. That's not right. That's not right. You had missed that calls That should have her. actually been your first call. Something. So he didn't call her. Yeah, second, I, I guess. there's there's so many things that I I'm wondering about this, and in, and I'll show you the the video footage of the dummy test that they did off this cliff. It doesn't match up where where her body ended up, and you know where it was actually from these dummy tests. It was there was about a fifty to sixty foot deviation of where it landed naturally to where it actually was found. So there was a big discrepancy with that, um, unless she was forcibly pushed. Yeah, it's not. It is a straight downhill, but there is a small, a slight like hillish to it. Yeah, there's rocks, there's greenery, there's everything. In the depictions that they do of like the the reconstructions and everything, um, obviously these are reconstructions. I get it. There's no markings on her hands. I want to know if there's markings on her hands so bad. I want to yeah. know if there's markings on her hands because if she fell as an accident, 
You she would, would have tried to stop her dear life to try to grab anything. You would have scratched your hands up. I've fallen off cliffs myself. Yeah. And I've been busted up. But guess what? My hands are busted up. Yeah. You're trying to yeah. stop what's happening. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't find the autopsy report, but I'd be really interested to know if there is any damage to the inside of her hands. Right. That's the case of Rhonda Casto. It's a wild one, huh? Yeah. There's a lot of unknowns. Uh, her mom says that, um, you know, she thinks this was for money. Yeah. Because. Clearly. About a couple months before their daughter was born, 2008. Yeah. Stock markets were not the greatest. Nope. So him as a day trader had lost a lot of money. Okay. So if that helps you understand a little bit about maybe why there is a financial motive behind this, that might be the motive. That 2008 was a really hard year, especially if you were a day trader. Um, and because of his financial, recent financial loss, the mom thinks that this was financially motivated. Yeah, um, sure. And then really weird thing. So right after she died, family says, that he approached her sister again. Because he said that she's a dead ringer for Rhonda and asked to resume a relationship That's with her. That's disgusting. Because she could just slip in and... Play the part. Play the mom. That's gross. And she declined and she did cooperate with the police after, you know, she told mom, et cetera, et cetera, um, to do a sting operation with some tapped phone calls to try and get him to talk about, like, what actually happened. She did get him to admit to their past relationships, and he is not hiding it now. He's just disgusting. Um, but although she did get him to talk about their past... Um, involvement. Involvement when she was a minor, um, she could not get him to talk about uh, Rhonda's passing. So, unfortunately, it was not helpful for the Rhonda case, but it was helpful for the sexual abuse of a minor case. Yeah. So just really interesting how, like you said, you could look at it a different couple ways, but oh, everything does not look good for him. No. There's no, a lot it does not. of things, especially with the financial loss. We know that he was interested in at least a minor. Yeah. Um, so just really weird situation. All right. So that is the case of Rhonda. Casto, tell me what, what you think. I will be posting some of the images, some of the um, reenactments for the dummies falling off of the cliffside. Even though they're dummies, I audibly gasped. So I will put those only on the murder lovers page. I will not put those on the uh, open social media. So mm -hmm. if you're looking for that content, you're going to go to the closed group to find those. Um, because, again, even though they're dummies, just like... Imagining seeing someone falling and like visually seeing it is is breathtaking. So um, I will not subject you to that unless you go look for it. All right, so that's the case. Um, thanks for listening. <laughs> Stick around. <laughs> I found a daughter. I don't know if I okay. her from hypothermia. Freezing, would you please send someone? Okay, so she fell off of the trail down a cliff, and then you went down the cliff and pulled her, brought her back up onto the trail? No, she's dead. 
I actually have a What the Florida today. Do you? Okay. The headline is, Bored Pilot Draws Penis on Flight Map Using Live Tracking App. What? A A bored pilot flying over Florida drew a penis shape using the Live Flight Tracking App. The pilot of the private two-seat plane... Wow, there's a lot of Ps. The pilot of the private two-seat plane started his trip in Kissimmee and traveled at a speed of about 72 knots, according to the Flight Radar 24. He looped around Lakeland, where he created his artwork (laughs) over 400 feet, and it's literally... A penis? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) This is like those runner apps where people run around and, like, say, marry me or something, but no, he used it to make penis. It's literally a flight tracking app, like, when you go online to see where your flight is and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like that, but he's shaped it oh, into a right. penis. Oh, that's right. So it's a p- available to the public. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a live <laughs> tracking app. I thought it was going to be just for the air controllers no. or something. Oh, that's hilarious. So funny. Um, so I have a new story I want to talk to you about. Okay. Because um, you've probably heard of it. If you haven't, then welcome to my brain because this is what I get subjected to every single day. Okay. Um, so this is a story from the UK. Uh, this is the story of Corinna Smith. She's 59. Um, so in 2020, in July of 2020, her adult daughter came up to her and uh, confessed or told her finally that her father had sexually abused her when she was younger. I know this story. I know this story. And her son, so had committed suicide back in 2007. Yeah. And the mom did not know exactly why he had committed suicide right. other than he had told her that a bad man had done bad stuff to him. Right. So after her daughter confessed to her that it was her father that had sexually abused her yeah. and very likely deducing that it was probably him that sexually abused her son too, the mom decided to go into her kitchen... And put in, hold on. She's a hero. A bucket of water. So I'm assuming about a couple gallons and three whole bags of sugar. Mm -hmm. And brought them to a boil. And then she calmly walked downstairs where her husband, Michael Baines, 81 years old, was sleeping. And as he was sleeping, she peeled back the covers and poured hot sugar water on his arms and torso and genitalia and a hero she walked over to her neighbor's house nine doors down and said i'd heard him i heard him bad and so the neighbor ran over to the house saw what had happened and called 911 this took about 20 minutes by the time she walked over there. Figured she was out. taking her time. She was taking her sweet time. Yeah. I I don't condone violence, but in this case, A this hero. lady is like... The genius behind it. So, it's smart. Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, if you're thinking, like, what's the big deal of sugar and water? It becomes viscous. It becomes this, like, It's a hard shell, basically. And sugar burns hotter than water. Yeah. So, and it cools down a lot less 
uh, like a lot slower than water does. Yep. And it sticks a lot. And then it like solidifies. Yes. So it keeps burning. Yeah. The burns were astronomical. And you get like getting that off means ripping the skin off. Uh huh. Yeah. So he laid there in agony. Screaming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 36% of his body was burnt. Um, they did get him into the hospital. He died because of his injuries. Yep. Um, I'm sure she wasn't sad. Nope. Nope. And she did get life in prison. He don't but, agree. you know, <laughs> you do the crime, you, you'll do the time. That's fine. She's probably fine with it. And my understanding is that she is, but... And that's fine with me. She was, like, worth it. How do I put money in your books? Yeah. <laughs> right? Truly. 100%. If someone did that to my child... Yeah. Should Sugar water. <laughs> I won't encourage it, but don't. I don't... I don't... I'm nope. not mad nope. at it. Nope. Yep. Yeah, I read that story. And then, like... I read that story and then shortly after one of my friends posted it and they were like, free her or whatever. And yeah. I was like, I'll sign the petition. <laughs> free Karina. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I would totally sign it. I would, yeah, tell me where to sign up. Um, so yeah, that's a crazy story from the UK. I yeah. was like, I'm glad you shared that one. Cause I, when you started talking about it, I was like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember reading about this. It wouldn't have been a whole you know episode, but I was like, oh my God, we got to talk about it. Like yeah, it's, it's totally. crazy. It's obviously it's true crime, but in, in it, we don't condone crime obviously, but this lady she lost her son and her daughter was being abused yeah. like i i don't blame her nope i, I do don't not. blame her i do not she's like i don't have a gun but i have sugar <laughs> and this is gonna hurt a lot more yep yep she was right uh-huh all right so i think that's all we've got today thanks for sticking around all right bye bye, bye guys <laughs>